This is God's word, Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for, with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from here. We read this far. We have here the announcement from the angel Gabriel to Mary that the impossible will happen. She will conceive and bear a son named Jesus. Her response is to be admired and has been admired for 2,000 years. Every December, Christians around the world read again these words, various languages, imagine it around the world. We treasure these things in our hearts too, as Mary was said to do in the book of Matthew. This event is a favorite scene. Those who do artwork, who do Christian artwork for these last 2,000 years have focused on this scene. It remains understandably so a favorite scene for it's a moment of the greatest significance in the history of our salvation. It's it's one of those top moments. Some call this scene the Annunciation, referring to the announcement from the angel Gabriel, no less, to Mary that she will conceive. Now we learn from God in this passage in the Bible to have a certain attitude the attitude of a servant, the attitude displayed by Mary but provided by God through this coming Savior himself. The first Christmas attitude of Mary is the year-round Christian attitude, the attitude of a believing servant. It brings us to our main point because Christ did the impossible when he came. We're called to take the attitude of believing servants. We'll see in verses 26 and 27, we appreciate the humiliation of Christ for us. Secondly, 28 through 30, we'll see we know the privilege our privilege as servants of God, and thirdly, we will live expectantly. So first, we begin in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. So we track through what's being told to us here in the sixth month. Uh, the, the sixth month of what? <laughs> I mean, usually the Bible will tell us the years of a king or the, some sort of marker like that. But this isn't done according to the years of King Herod. What's being tracked in heaven is how many months Elizabeth is along in the pregnancy of John the Baptist. And if heaven is tracking the, bap- the birth and development and pregnancy of John the Baptist, how much more will heaven track birth the Lord Jesus Christ? In the sixth month of the pregnancy of Zachariah and Elizabeth's child, she's expecting with John the Baptist. That's the first thing we're told in our text. And then, the second thing we're told is at that moment, God decided take that angel who's in his presence always, Gabriel, whose job it is is right there in the central throne room of God, to dispatch that very angel with a special message to a certain location to say something to a certain person. Mighty angel of God sent on a special mission from the central place of power and authority to a virtual nobody. The angel Gabriel was sent from God. To where? Well, without the Christmas story being repeated to you down through the years, you never would have heard of it. Even in those days, you might not have heard of it. city of Galilee named Nazareth. (laughs) Now, saying Nazareth, the town of Galilee, is like saying Nowhereville. No offense to those who live in Platte, Wisconsin, but Platte, Wisconsin, and Washington County, not that far from us here, you've probably never been there. You don't know anyone who lives there. Nothing important has ever happened there. It's a little bit west of Colgate. No presidential candidate has ever made a long stop and an important speech there. Otherwise, we would have heard all about that. Nothing happens in Platt, Wisconsin. Nothing happens in Nazareth. What's my point? The fact that Gabriel, one of the most powerful creatures that God has ever created, who has a special job in the very presence of God, a very important job, was sent to Nazareth. What in the world is so important that God would dispatch this angel to that location? It would make one wonder why God would furthermore break his silence. 400 years worth of silence to give messages to earth through prophets or angels or anything. Why now would God break his silence and dispatch his, one of his special angels, a mighty and important angel, to such an insignificant place as Nazareth? Wait, where? What's there? Nothing. Don't worry. Nothing. And that whole fact, why Luke begins to unfold the events by telling us all this, is that the message of the coming of Jesus includes this dynamic as part of the story. It's integral to the story. And what it tells us is the humiliation of Jesus that is coming is so surprising, so significant of a step down for the Lord Jesus that the angel Gabriel coming from the presence of God, the control room of the universe, to come down to a little place like Nazareth is supposed to awaken us to the kind of surprise step down to Nowheresville that will get us in the zone to think about a greater step down that's coming. It's a part of the message to warm us up 
How much more of a surprise step down would it be for Jesus to come from the throne of the universe who is himself the Son of God and go to quietness of the inside of the womb of a woman. So that suddenly, Jesus, who could see all things across heaven and the universe and earth, was in the position of an unborn baby, powerless to speak or to go anywhere on his own. If she got up in the middle of the night and used the restroom, he would be up in the middle of the night and use the restroom inside of her. He's there with her. For us to take the attitude of believing servants of God is to absorb what God is telling us in these words. We have to first realize what a servant Jesus is. God showed us this, Philippians 2. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's part of the Christmas story, Philippians 2. Born in the likeness of men, emptying himself, form of a servant. Now, this church loves babies. We all love babies. It's wonderful. We, baby girls, baby boys, there's something precious. It's life-giving and hope-engendering. We, we, wonder, we just love it. And so Christmas, all the better. It's the birth of Jesus. We celebrate the birth of Jesus and we get all wrapped up into the same kind of feelings I have towards these babies I have towards this baby Jesus. But we need to remember the biblical truth being presented to us here that the birth of Jesus for Jesus is not a glorious thing. It's not. The birth of Jesus at Christmas is not a part of what we call his exaltation. His resurrection, his ascension, his coronation, his sending of the Spirit, those aspects of what Jesus will do later are part of his exaltation. This is the beginning of his humiliation. What a gigantic step down to be, as it were, humiliated. Why? There's one important difference for Jesus, the baby, from every other baby. This birth for Jesus, even this conception in Mary for Jesus, is not his beginning. For every other baby, it's their beginning. For him, it's not his beginning. Forever in time past, He existed as the Son of God. And then he was asked by God the Father to take on the work of redemption and so therefore to take on the form of a man and to add to his person humanity so that he's both God and man. He existed prior to his time in the womb. He existed while the angel was coming to say this to Mary. He was in existence and observing the whole thing. to then wait in the womb for nine months, which was the task, was restrictive for the Son of God to go from hearing this in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. To go from that to 
all of a sudden, you only hear the soft, rhythmic sound of Mary's gentle heartbeat again and again. How do we grasp the step down? The launch of our redemption begins here. To go from seeing the vast reaches of the epicenter of heaven and all things, to see all of earth at once, to being confined to darkness inside of a womb. Being born at Christmas, please remember, was a colossal step down for the Son of God. It would have been humbling for Jesus to come here as an adult, powerful king. How much more humbling to come as an unborn baby. On top of that, born despised, born poor. The Spirit of God coming then to overshadow this woman in this nowheresville small town. And the humiliation was furthered when you consider he's born in a barn. Barn sounds, barn smells, barn limited access. Jesus is God yet must answer then to his parents as his superiors, as he grows through his elementary years and what we call his adolescent years. Deepen the humiliation further the more you think it through. Again and again and again as we consider the very aspect, various aspects of his life, the very aspects of his humanity and his suffering and his humiliation, therefore, we track with Luke, if you read the whole book, the Gospel of Luke, he later on tells us of Jesus' betrayal, of his trial, of his abandonment, of his beatings, of his crucifixion. And at every point, we remember he's both God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever, and yet expected to submit and to obey the plan of God the Father for our salvation. He who is the resurrection and the life obeyed the order to lay down his life unto death. And what sort of death was it? Shameful. Cruel. Philippians 2.8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For three days, the Lord of glory submitted himself unto the power of death, though he is and ever remained the resurrection and the life. All that time. Just a few lines prior to the verse I just quoted in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How's that? Philippians 4, uh, 2 verse 4. Each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That mind. If Jesus was only looking out for himself, he never would have come here. He had it good. He's looking out for our interests. And he's teaching us that mindset to look out not only for your own interests, that you should care for yourself, but look out for the interests of others. That's the Christian mindset. So God has called us to suffer. We have difficulties. Has God given you a heavy burden? Look where Philippians 2 goes next. The expectations of God with our attitudes is not just for those good moments. The expectations of God for our attitudes is while we carry burdens. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, 
children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. We're children of God. And so we're also servants of God. And we have this wonderful moment of an example from one. One of our sisters in the Lord, one servant from God, one child of God in one moment. Mary gives us this moment when she shines like a star in the universe, as it were, right? The Christian shines because Christ is in us. What does God expect of Mary? What does God expect of you in your suffering? Our orders are to stop thinking only of ourselves, stop thinking only of others, but to always think both of ourselves and of others. Our orders are to be concerned about others doing well and concerned about ourselves doing well. We're all servants of Jesus, and our model is Jesus himself, who came from heaven's throne to the womb of Nazareth for us. Then we being shown that God expects us to do humbling of ourselves. Romans 12, 16, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Romans 12, 16, do powerful people get all of our attention? How about that person in your neighborhood, that person in your workplace, your school, your team, who's all alone, doesn't have a voice? Right? Church does well in this. We associate with the lonely. We welcome anyone from any walk of life as they come here. That's why Jesus came from heaven to earth to show us how to do this, that we step down a rung or two in our own ladders, welcome others in his name. Secondly, you can see verses 28 and 32, how Luke builds on this by telling us what happened next. We know our privileges as servants of God. Now, you know how Roman Catholic Church pays honor to the Virgin Mary. I'm not here to slam the Catholic Church, but just to differentiate and describe what we believe in difference. What do we say? What does the Bible say? And God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary to say something that's recorded here in the Bible for us to read in verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. It doesn't mean she had earned something from God by being so amazing. It means that God is giving her favor. She's a recipient of grace and blessings from God. Yes, she was holy. She was living a right life. Can you imagine God sending his son to a promiscuous woman's womb? No, this was a, a woman who was doing right things, but God had given her favor and grace. Who recognized that the angel Gabriel gave honor to Mary. So Protestants and Presbyterians give honor to Mary as heaven does through its angel Gabriel. We do well to give her honor. The only trouble comes in when Mary's held up further than God holds her up, further than Gabriel holds her up, when people go too far and say that Mary herself, when she was conceived as a baby, was conceived without sin, which is not true. This Bible verse doesn't say that. There's no Bible verse that says that. In fact, the Bible tells us the opposite. She was conceived and born in sin. So starting with that error then, they go further and begin to worship Mary, or they use the word venerate Mary, seeing her as another mediator, having the same access to God or talking with God on our behalf as Jesus himself has her son. For all that, there's no warrant in Scripture. So let's see this for what it does reveal and what it doesn't say. Having said that, we must in fairness admit no other woman in all of human history had the unique and special privilege and high honor of being the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have got to grant that. 
And there's some aspect of truth here that we need to appreciate and maintain. But it remains undisputed that Mary had a unique privilege. Think of it. By one woman, Eve, sin and death were brought into the world, confirmed by the greater failure of Adam. By one woman, Mary, the solution is born into the world. No wonder she's considered favored by God. And what are the rest of us supposed to do? We're supposed to remember that there is a spiritual reality in our relating to Christ. We cannot have a relationship to Christ that flesh and blood relationship that Mary alone had. We can't have that relationship to Christ, flesh and blood. You never had him in your womb, ladies, right? However, let us not forget that there's a relationship with Christ that's presented here that is actually nearer and closer than flesh and blood relationship to Christ. The relationship of sinner to Savior is closer than a relationship of mother to son. The relationship of sinner to Savior is closer than relationship of mother to son. It's true for this too, Jesus and Mary. It's true for every other person. Jesus showed the deepest meaning of the family words that we use because the whole of life is an illustration of what God reveals to us that he is our God, our Father in heaven. Jesus is our older brother, which makes all of us brothers and sisters. And Jesus showed, for example, whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, my mother. And when someone asked Jesus later, as a man, as an adult man teaching and preaching, someone said to Jesus, blessed is the mother that gave you birth and nursed you. Remember what he replied? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Fascinating. We're being reminded of our privilege as servants of God. We have a special privilege. We have close access to the Lord God. Don't be jealous of Mary. We have the same close access spiritually to Jesus, center to Savior. Our time in redemptive history brings us honors and privileges. We today can speak Jesus' words. Mary cannot. David cannot. Elizabeth cannot. John the Baptist cannot. We can speak God's word to dead sinners today. We can bring the message to the ends of the earth through missionary work. And as servants of God alive today, our privilege is one of obedience to do just that. We are today's servants. Christ is still our king commanding it. Here in verses 32 and 33, it emphasizes his kingly role in relation to us as servants of God. The angel Gabriel described the coming king this way, Jesus will be great. (laughs) Wow, yeah, that's exactly true. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verses 32 and 33, What do we want for our children and grandchildren? Good life, education, church, job, family, friends. What if God said to you that your child would be great and we would call the child of the Most High and have a special place to reign on the throne of David? What an inestimable privilege to hear this from Mary, from the angel, for her child. 
But there's a place in God's kingdom for his servant named Mary, that favored position. But her position didn't come because of her own godliness. Her position came not because of the blood lost during the childbirth for her son, but rather her position came from the blood lost for her son dying at the cross for her second birth. The role that's being described there is the exact same role for you and me. We also are children of God, and that position is the same for us and for our children. What do we want for our children and grandchildren? That's what we want. All I want for Christmas is that for my children. The privilege of walking with Christ and God the Father. Our favor with God is a gift from God to us. We don't earn this. Our favor from God is a privilege. Our relationship with God is the joy of having a place at all in the kingdom of God, the kingdom that will never end, purchased by this exact Savior who came. To serve Christ now is to take up our own cross. And soon enough, we follow Jesus in exchanging that cross for a crown. Philippians 2.9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. We know the privilege of being children of God extends to the next coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And his next coming won't be so humble, small, and out of the way. Hebrews 10, 36 for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. Oh, his next coming. Brings us to our third point. We live expectantly. Verses 33 to 38 bring out the fact of the impossible birth of Jesus Christ. Remember, this is a doctor, Dr. Luke. He showed us how it's medically impossible for Elizabeth to conceive because of her age and barrenness. It happened anyway. How much more medically impossible is it for a virgin to conceive? The angel Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, put it well in verse 37. This is one for your mirror or your fridge or your bookmark. For nothing will be impossible with God. That means we can live expectantly. We're servants of God like Mary. What does it mean? It means God can do anything with us that God wants to do with us. God can do anything around us that God wants to do around us. God can do anything in our generation that God wants to do in our generation. And as a result, we take the believing attitude of Mary. Let it be to me according to your word. That's living. Mary was meek and ready for the Lord's will. That's what we're called to be. Remember what Jesus said to a man lame for 38 years? Arise. And he stood up. 38 years lame. That moment, he stood up. Belief. What if Christ said to a person who's been dead in unbelief for four decades, believe, and they started to believe in that moment. That's what we're called to believe God can do. We need our attitudes to match up with the facts that God can do as God promised to do. 
What have we seen? That Christ did the impossible when he came. So we're called to take the attitude of believing servants. We appreciate the humiliation of Christ for us. We know our privilege as servants of God. And we live expectantly. So I have one application. Because Jesus did the impossible, became a man, died and rose again, he enabled us to take the attitude of believing servants of God. That's the application. Take the attitude of believing servants of God. After 400 years of silence, God dispatched his angel Gabriel to an unknown place and things began to happen. Jesus remained God and became man. It's a work of God. How do we respond? We serve the Lord with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and watch for what impossible things God accomplishes in us and through us. Conversion is impossible. Oh, that coworker of mine. Oh, that extended family member. They would never believe in the Lord Jesus like we do. Oh, really? Yeah, you say it's impossible. God does the impossible. Start to believe. Put that person on your prayer list. Keep that person on your prayer list. How can a spiritually dead person believe? Power of God. Only by the work of God to do the impossible. How about a revival? The nation's going in the tank. How about it? 1730s, 1740s began in England. And what spread to the colonies in the United States was a time of increased interest in spiritual things, the scriptures. Christianity, the movement of the church, George Whitfield, a traveling preacher those days, Jonathan Edwards, a pastor in Massachusetts. Each conversion being a work of God. What about conversions in mass numbers? Is it possible? Ah, yes. You've got to keep the attitude of being a believing servant. It's been 238 years since God moved in the revival in Massachusetts in the church of Pastor Jonathan Edwards. But look at it this way. God's worked that way before in our country. How about that? There was a great awakening here. In fact, there was a second great awakening, 1790 to 1820. Now that's 203 years ago. Why not today? Why not now? If we don't believe and keep believing, have the attitude of believing servants that this God who sent his son Jesus at Christmas could do this, then we're way off the mark. We are called to have the same attitude of Mary here. Take the attitude that it could be now. Why not now? One of the fundamental things we have to remember about being servants of this God is that we never forget his power. We serve a God for whom all things are possible. Bumper sticker, magnet on the fridge, lipstick on the, fr- on the mirror. With God, all things are possible. We are expected to pray like that. We're expected to act like that. We're expected to celebrate Christmas like that. And it's year-round the Christian attitude, living as a believing servant. One of the core lessons of the Christmas story, the angel Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, that we will one day see, Lord willing, puts it well in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Let's pray. Father, increase our faith. Make us humble.